Hello and welcome to this episode of Centre Stage, the Garakomarek Family Foundation podcast. I'm James Cunningham, and my guest today is someone who knows more than most about the arts and their importance in society. He spent 15 years at the Barbican Theatre in London and was managing director of Nederland Dance Theatre, one of the world's leading contemporary dance companies. Today, he's the senior vice president for artistic planning at the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts in Washington, D.C., and I'm very excited to have him on this podcast. Welcome, Mr. Robert Van Leer. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on this podcast with us. Uh, as I mentioned, you're working at the Kennedy Center currently, and you've been there since 2015. How has it been? How have you found it so far? Well, it's been it's been a wonderful journey. I mean, I was born and raised here in America, so it was a coming home for me in 2015. I had been living in England and the Netherlands uh, for nearly 20 years. So it's been great to be back here in America and to be working at, you know, America's cultural center, because that's what the Kennedy Center is. It's the nation's cultural center by uh, congressional mandate when it opened in 1971. And it just has been a dream come true because I'm able to work in the theater, in with dance, with music of many forms and, and other work. So it's, it's really a, a great, great job. And I feel very, very lucky. And you mentioned that you, that in many ways, it was a coming coming home for you in in the sense that you'd grown up in the states. Uh, how did you find the sort of adjustment from having lived and worked in Europe to then moving back to the United States? Was it easy for you, or were there still some culture shocks along the way? Well, it was both easy and there were culture shocks. It was easy because it was kind of a culture and a way of life that I knew or know. At the same time, you know, after twenty years. Uh, things have changed. I'm in a different city. DC is, I lived in New York. I lived where I grew up, Rochester, New York. Um, but also the world has changed. I have changed and my perceptions of things have changed. So it was, it was an interesting, it has been an, and continues to be an interesting journey to look at America through the entirely uh, modern lens. And especially now in with the pandemic and social justice issues and race relations in America today, it, it, it's, it's been both a discovery and a coming home. It's been very interesting. It almost seems different, doesn't it, really? It does. It does. It always makes me think of Eugene O'Neill, the great writer's fam most famous quote. He said, he said famously once, you can never go home again. You know, and I think as we get older and, and if you do travel, have the great benefit of traveling around the world, you realize that there's some real truth in, in, in that quote. Um, it's, it's never like it was. And, and that's OK, too. It's a, a sense of discovery and journey. And then, you know, working here at the Kennedy Center to try to really define what should the role of the arts be in a modern society? What should the role of the arts be in Washington, D.C. today? What should the role of the arts be across America and through the digital sphere on a, on a global landscape? And um, those are big questions that we've been, you know, working with and struggling with and, and working to answer. And I think we've made some real, real shifts and, and developmental changes over the past six years. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned, I mean, the Kennedy Center, I'm going to, I'm not going to use its its full name, if you don't mind, no, just, uh, but, um, I'm sure you, <laughs> but, um, but, but, you know, the Kennedy Center is such a, a major landmark and a cultural icon in, in many ways. And, and, and for you, on your first day, coming back to the United States, uh, stepping into the Kennedy Center, starting your new job, describe to us what that sort of felt like for you. How, how was it to, to, to come back and to really have this, this big cultural icon at, at your mercy, really? Well, it was, it was particularly, if I might digress for a moment, a particularly bizarre moment for me because 
um, I left my job uh, and, and I decided to go with a friend and we decided to sail across the Caribbean Sea for three weeks wow. before I started the job just because I wanted to do something to get out of myself before I started another major job. So it just, by happenstance, I flew um, into Washington, D.C. on the 3rd of July. My first day at work was the 6th of July, which was a Monday. So on Saturday, the 4th of July, I went to my first event at the Kennedy Center and they have a special uh, donor and public event on the roof of the Kennedy Center and the American Fourth of July. So it was quite <laughs> surreal in many ways, because I was meeting all of these people who I'd never met before, who were donors and staff and all kinds of people. And just in the middle of this iconic American moment, um, standing here on the roof of the Kennedy Center and watching the fireworks over the mall. So it, it was pretty uh, out of body in many ways, but it was also wonderful because people were warm and inviting and they were interested and interesting. So it was it was a great beginning. And then on the Monday, I began work and began to get to know the team and, and find out how this the great vast leviathan of the Kennedy Center actually worked. Absolutely. No, that must have been awesome coming in and, and witnessing such a big event right right from the from the get go. That must have been awesome. Uh, yeah. and, and, and did you I guess you, you must have you know, known a lot about the Kennedy Center before you started. Um, has your perception of the Kennedy Center changed since you've been there? Have, has, have there been or, or do you still kind of get that buzz when you when you walk in there every morning, I guess? <laughs> Well, I still get the buzz when I walk in every morning, but certainly my perception of what it is and what it can be or should be has changed. You know, I knew the Kennedy Center, not from the youngest age, but certainly in my late teens. Um, I, I went, I studied uh, drama at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and there I met one of my lifelong friends and uh, college roommate, and we were roommates together in New York as well. And she moved up to uh, D.C. after we graduated, and I used to come down a lot at weekends to visit. And I got a particular view of what I thought the Kennedy Center was. It seemed quite traditional, quite staid, quite safe. Um, you know, quite um, uh, uh, old school in that way. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I was uh, uh, an appointment of our president, Deborah Rudders, who had started in 2014. And I think we both shared the goal of maintaining and celebrating the cla great classics and classicism of the art forms and of what a performing arts center has been, but also really want to look into what it can be and should be for a modern society. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it, it's been, uh, and I think we've achieved some of that. It's an ongoing process, which takes many, many years. But I, I think and I hope we've opened it up for more people and more artists and more voices and more representation. You know, we live here in Washington, D.C., which is historically one of the blackest cities in America. Mm -hmm. um, it's, be it's, it's, it's becoming less so as many traditional communities are being displaced. But we've really wanted to be responsive to the city in which we live and which we are a part of. It's interesting that you mention the role of of, a, of an art centre as being so much more than just putting on concerts, putting on shows. It seems like you really want the, the Kennedy Centre to play a major role, not just in perhaps in the day-to-day -day happenings of Washington, D.C., but also in perhaps the United States and the, and the world. Um, do you think that maybe that's the, the role of art centres in that respect has, has changed, even in the past sort of five, ten years, that they've become these kind of, not just kind of like a concert halls or, or, or um, centres of excellence, but they've also become these, these symbols of kind of social movements.
Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I don't want to speak for, you know, all the art centers. There's quite a few. We're part of a, a group called the Performing Arts Centers Consortium. And there's some 37 members across America, which are all performing arts centers. And, you know, we're, we're not all in the same place. I mean, one of the principles we talk about within that forum is the kind of foundational role that an art center can play, perhaps should play, in terms of the cultural and civic life of the cities in which we find ourselves. But I think the the uh, Kennedy Center has a further opportunity and perhaps responsibility because what sets us apart um, in a way that is not in any way competitive or pejorative, but we are the memorial to the 35th president, John F. Kennedy. Many people don't realize that. We are just like the Lincoln Memorial or the Jefferson Memorial. We are the official federal memorial to uh, John F. Kennedy. And we are, as I said at the top of the of the recording, um, the city's cultural center, the nation's cultural center. So, you know, that carries responsibility as well. As part of that, we have a major grant with the Department of Education to carry out arts education across the uh, country. Um, and we've been thinking a lot about how do we fulfill that mandate and continue to develop and fulfill that mandate in terms of cultural leadership, social and civic participation, of course, the role of the arts, the development of the uh, repertoire of the future. So it is all of those things, yes, and more. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. And another thing I think which which we've kind of touched upon re- um, slightly so far is that it is it, it has such a uh, the Kennedy Center has such a vast history. It is celebrating its, its 50th anniversary this year. Um, tell us a bit about what you've got planned, um, what sort of things that perhaps fans of the Kennedy Center and also the wider public can can look forward to. Absolutely. So you're quite right. On the 8th of September 1971, the Kennedy Center opened with a gala performance of Leonard Bernstein's Mass, a work that was commissioned by Jacqueline Kennedy from her great friend and family friend, Leonard Bernstein, um, in order to mark this moment. Um, So we have a full season, more than 365 days, in order to really uh, celebrate and commemorate um, this important season for us, our 50th. We have a number of new commissions. Uh, For instance, the WNO is doing a wonderful project called Written in Stone, where they've commissioned um, four sets of librettists and composers to write works in response to known DC monuments, and to really, through that lens, celebrate what not only what the, the, the that physical structure is, but really what they represent um, in our life today. Um, similarly, the NSO has wonderful commissions, including a major commission from from uh, Philip Glass, uh, Missy Mazzoli, and others. We ourselves have commissioned and are co-commissioners on new works from people like Anthony Kidjo, uh, Esperanza Spalding and Wayne Shorter are making a new opera, um, a series of new plays that we've commissioned to be developed out in our education and um, community center called The Reach. So there's, there's a variety of different projects alongside, you know, marking moments. So in September, We'll be doing a concert, a commemoration to mark the 20th anniversary of 9-11, as well as to remember those lives lost during the pandemic and to celebrate heroes who have have, con- have and continue to bring us through this 
worldwide pandemic, as well as a 50th anniversary concert on the 14th of September conducted by Michael Tilson Thomas. But the, the, the challenge is, and we'll be celebrating with the American Ballet Theater, who've been here from the beginning, and Alvin Ailey Dance Company, mm -hmm. who've been here from the beginning, and New York City Ballet, who've been here since 1974. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, it's a broad family. We do over 2,200 performances a year. So there's many different levels of celebration. Of course, we'll have our 44th annual honors celebration in December of 21, which will also be marking the 50th. So there's lots of different ways that people can uh, participate uh, locally, but also nationally and again, through digitally. Uh, um, That's wonderful to hear how many things you've got, you've got planned because in, in, a, in a world where we've been so deprived of any sort of live events or, or cultural events, then it, it's so, it's so wonderful to hear that you've got so many things, so many things planned. Um, Obviously, for you um, last year, the, how how close were you to to sort of a complete meltdown, having having sort of this pandemic and then the fiftieth anniversary coming up? You know, how did you handle that whole that whole era, that whole that whole episode? We had, uh, of course, immediate events that were about to happen that we had to cancel and we had a number of levels of canceling a few weeks and canceling a few weeks until we got into the process and realized what was going to happen with the timeline with the pandemic and really started to look at canceling months out in advance um, and at the same time thinking very much we have always had a very large uh, online and digital program we have an in-house digital team so and of course we've been recording and transmitting our uh, everyday performances of millennium stage for 20 more than 20 years so we have a, a great experience and capacity for digital programming but we also wanted to look at what were the unique opportunities. You know, the education team did a wonderful participative things nationwide with our art, you know, artist, artist in residence in the education division, Mo Willems. But we also looked at how we could use our, our physical space. And we started doing some small scale with small audiences, performances directly from the stage of our opera house. And what I mean by that, both the audience and the artist were together on the opera house. So really, I mean, it, it was, uh, I don't think we melted down certainly was a great challenge because we're a hugely revenue dependent organization we we draw a much larger proportion of our operating budget from our revenue streams and overnight those revenue streams stopped so that was you know cataclysmic for us in some ways but we we you know, went through the process as everyone did of looking at all of the elements and how could you change it up and how could we continue to uh, fulfill our mission in some way in person or online um, and I think in many ways it, it, it did force me and the creative team to go back to the core principles of what did we need and want to achieve? What was really delivering on our mission? What was really essential for us in that continued process of change and development during the 50th season? We had a much bigger season planned and we've had to dramatically reduce that. But I think in many ways, what we've held on to and what we will be presenting is, is, is essential to the core mission of the organization. And in many ways, I'm very proud of that. What I really wanted to ask you was a little bit about your about your role as, as senior vice president for artistic planning. Uh, obviously, we've mentioned this past year, which has been extreme in so many different ways. But um, I sort of wanted to get get a bit of a sense of, of kind of what your role is kind of day to day. Deducing, planning, which shows to involve in a program. Is there a particular thought process uh, that sort of goes through your mind when you're selecting a show? What to, what to you makes a, makes a great, not just show, but even, even just a, a performance? 
Well, my real role is really about um, leading the curatorial team, and there is a you know a, a great group of some thirteen um, curat curators here working across the art forms, and then uh, alongside our social impact program, our education programs, and of course the wonderful NSO and WNO. Um, you know, so my job is about both a macro role in terms of the overall shape of what we want to do in any given season or coming season, and there through shaping the very tactical elements of, as a cascade from the mission and vision, right down to working with individual curators or groups of curators around what do we want to achieve with the programs that we have, what we want to change up, what are the special uh, moments like in the 50th that we want to respond to, and how do we want to respond to them. I kind of stick to a 80-20 rule. I mean, we are such a large operation that a, a great proportion of the program is simply allowing the curators to do what they do and to be excellent and professional at what they do and scheduling a jazz season or a comedy season or a hip-hop season or the theater season or the ballet and dance season. And then really it often comes down to kind of that other 20% where we talk about, okay, what are those choices that respond to a given theme we have may have chosen or a given moment like the 50th or something that's happening in the world around us um, in order to uh, continue to evolve the program and be responsive to the situation in which we find ourselves. So that's, you know, my, my days can go everything from a meeting of the executive, the office of the president team, talking about large scale, uh, the big arc of where we're going with our next strategic plan, what's happening with the budget, what are the big trends or things that we're facing, down to uh, working with uh, individual programmers or teams of programmers to talk about what's coming up and the choices we need to make. Oh, nice, nice. And and speaking of artists working with with artists and, and performers, um, you've obviously had a wonderful career both in the United States and in Europe as well. Um, to what extent um, is working with artists in the United States different to to working with artists in Europe? What would you say is is the main difference, the key difference, in your opinion? Um, there's very little difference in terms of the actual content of the talking to the artists or the work with the artists. The biggest difference, I'll be perfectly frank, is budgets. The size of budgets are much, much larger in America than they tend to be, in my experience, of either the UK, UK or the EU. Um, it, there are vast uh, uh, infrastructures here um, which require different kind of budget constructs, and there's major um, union issues. You know, we have uh, some 16 different collective bargaining agreements here at the Kennedy Center. You know, that's very different from the European or, or UK model. There, there are some unions at play, but it, it is a far less unionized um, uh, organization or structure in that way. So um, it's the amount of money involved is, is very different. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's that's interesting. I, I as a as a non well, as somebody who's not really familiar, would never have, have thought that it would be it would be that that sort of side. But I guess yeah, and and I guess we talk about sort of culture having the having the capability to unite and and to to bring people together. Um, do you think in in today's world that's still possible? Do you think it's still possible for shows to really bring people together? I think it's more possible. Um, you know, I think people have to want to come and be in that space together. But I, I think, you know, it is I'm coming up to 30 year anniversary of working in the field. But in many ways, I think there's a there's a broader, broader spectrum of people represented in the space, participating in events, participating in the in the 
in the arts, not only performing arts, engaging with the broader role of culture in our society. And I think it is as much as or more so than, than it, it has been in the past. You know, when I started, I don't know how old you are, but I'm in my late 50s. So when I started as a boy and as a young man in the arts, it was it was very elite. We didn't talk about it. We didn't realize realize it because it wasn't talked about, but it was. It was, a, it was a, you know, generally a particular echelon of society. Um, and and it's uh, we have made great strides, and we must keep doing more and going further. But there is far more access and participation from a broader spectrum of society today, and I think that is entirely good, entirely right, and must continue more and more. And to what extent would you, as as senior vice president for artistic planning of the Kennedy Center, be willing to perhaps go for a play which was which could perhaps upset a certain portion of people? Say, for example on a polarizing polarizing theme or would you if it was something perhaps that you believed in would you would you still go for it or would you would you elect more to please the masses and to go for maybe a safer option well i i think you hit the nail on the head you know if if we feel it is a work of merit and that's a whole conversation of well, how do we define the word merit um you know our view is that we put a we use the art and the artist to put a mirror to the face of society and we would be not fulfilling our responsibility if we shied away from works uh from uh, authors, composers, choreographers, uh, you, you name it, who are responding to important issues of our time. That That is our very responsibility. So we have to be comfortable, therefore, with works that might ask difficult questions of us and might ask difficult questions of our society um, if we believe in the artist and the work has that, that role of, of merit. Um, so, you know, we do plenty of things that are, you know, we have a major Broadway touring program. We have major things that has plenty of broad appeal um, accessibility for for a broad society. But I, I don't want to paint this as an art versus commercial because the questioning can come from any corner. There are great works coming out of Broadway as well, which ask questions and, and ask us to confront issues in our society. So um, no, I, I don't think we avoid works because of the topic. Well, I think that's a very that's a very refreshing and very and very honest answer, which which I think a lot of your supporters will value value very much. Um, we we spoke about uh, we spoke a little bit earlier about about the role that the arts and the culture has to has to play still in terms of being more accessible. Where do you think is the is the area that that most work needs to be done for that to to be achieved um i think we continue to work hard with the traditional classical forms in terms of really sharing with a broader public the joy and opportunity of this vast vast repertoire um that that exists i mean i work less with classical music now in this role than i have in the past you know, when I was at the Barbican for those 15 years, I was the director of music and arts projects. So I dealt with all musical forms, but a, a large proportion of that was classical music alongside the London Symphony Orchestra. And I would often find myself in situations, meetings, cocktail parties, just casual um, meetings, and people would say, you know, classical music is not really for me. And I would say, so out of the huge repertoire, which is classical music, which is absolutely vast, covering centuries, there's nothing that speaks to you. 
And then they would pause and look at me for a moment and say, well, funny, I never thought about it like that. You know, I think a lot of people get stuck at the label um, rather than the content. So, you know, I, I think there's more we can do because I don't want to try to convince people that they should be classical music lovers or they should be an opera lover or they should be a ballet lover. I'm looking for people where a uh, an art form has an ability somewhere in its expression to speak to their heart, to their mind, to their joy, to their soul, you know, and 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 I think that can touch many, many more people than perhaps it currently does. I think in many ways it does already through film scores or through television. They're just perhaps not cognizant of it in the same way. So, you know, I'm a major advocate for, you know, continuing to throw the doors open and find ways to people to take their own performing arts journey and find, you know, work that we might be able to do, which which speaks to them. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's about creating, I guess, opportunities and opening people's eyes to the possibilities that classical music is so much more than just Mozart, Beethoven and Bach. <laughs> Thank you so much for your, for your time. Um, I've got one more, one more question for you um, relating to your, your, future, your future plans, because obviously we've talked a lot about this year and we know, I understand that it's a difficult question for you to ask, and, and I apologize in advance, <laughs> but, uh, but still, I, I feel like it's something that I, I'd still love to, love to discuss with you. What, what your plans for both the, uh, your role in, in the Kennedy Center are and the center itself, where would you like to see the Kennedy Center in, say, five, ten years' time? Uh, well, I, I think we're on a journey, which is the right one. And I want us to continue to develop to be a reflection of American culture today in a in a global context, you know, working both. The, and when I say that, you know, it also means that we want to be engaging with the broader international performing arts as well, because I always think you have to see the arts in the context of not only the society in which you exist, but also other societies and other cultures. And of course, America is a great diaspora of many uh, global forms, voices, and expressions, both in their original classical forms, but also in contemporized and reinterpreted forms. So I think we're on a good journey, and I think we need to continue on that journey. There are some major landmarks on the horizon. Um, I always get the years wrong, but it, the, the, the semi-sesquicentennial of America is coming up in, um, of course, 2026. Um, so that'll be a major landmark for American culture. And in some ways, I, I'm not looking that much further than those kind of five or six years down the road. But, you know, to continue to diversify, to continue to include more voices, to continue to develop really the digital form, you know, it's been a transformative during the pandemic, not to think about it just as a communication channel, but a, a place of um, of actual creation. So, you know, it's about that innovation and it's about inclusion and it's about major looking at those major landmarks on the horizon. And that's what I see in the next kind of five or six year for, years for the Kennedy Center. Great. Mr. Van Leer, thank you so much. This has been wonderful for myself and I'm sure it is going to be for our listeners as well. Thank you so much for your time. It's been great having you on this podcast and uh, all the best for the future and, and for the present as well and for the 50th anniversary. Thank you. The Garel Komarek Family Foundation podcast discusses everything to do with the Foundation's work, the arts, and culture in general. For more information on what the Foundation does, visit its website at komarekfoundation.org.